0: Welcome to SPARKS 538's science podcast. I'm science editor Blythe Terrell, and I'm sad to report that it is my last SPARKS podcast with 538, but I am heartened that we're going to discuss my favorite topic of the past few months, total solar eclipses. And to do that, we all read American Eclipse, David Barron's new book, in preparation for today's conversation. And with me today, we have two members of our science team and a special guest. So we have lead health writer, Anna Maria Berry-Jester. Hey, Anna. Hey, Blythe. We have lead science writer Christy Ashwandin. Hey, Christy. Hello, live. And we have freelance science writer Rebecca Boyle, who's written a ton about the eclipse. Welcome, Becky. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Becky, can we get a quick rundown of American Eclipse by David Barron?
1: Yeah. So, this book is not about the eclipse that we're about to experience, <laughs> it's <laughs> about another very important, famous American eclipse. This was in July of 1878. So kind of at the dawn of the Gilded Age, in the middle of Reconstruction, when the country was on the cusp of a lot of changes, an eclipse was going to pass down through the American West, the new frontier. So a bunch of scientists figured out how to get out there using trains and, and you know caravans to get all their equipment up to the mountains to take measurements of the solar corona and do a bunch of science. And it was an important moment. For them and also for the country, which was trying to establish itself as a scientific powerhouse. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. And so part of that was that the U.S. did not have a great international reputation at that point for science, right? It was kind of... Yeah. seen as a, la- a laughingstock a
1: little bit. Yeah, the U.S. was kind of seen as a bunch of, you know, farmers and, and uneducated rubes, <laughs> not really, <laughs> you know, on par with the great European science institutions. But there were a lot of efforts to change that at the time, and this eclipse was an opportunity for scientists and for the scientific enterprise in the U.S. to really shine. So it, it tells the story of three specific people who went out to the West to see the eclipse. One of them was an astronomer, James Craig Watson, who was trying to find planets, and at the time that included what we now think of as asteroids, and Mariah Mitchell, who is a woman astronomer who... Was making a name for herself and trying to fight against the patriarchy. <laughs> Go, <laughs> um, Mariah, <and laughs>
0: she fixed it, so yeah. it's all good. Yeah, it's,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly. It's it's it, it's over. And then uh, the last one is Thomas Edison, who may obviously have heard of that guy. we've all heard of, and um, it kind of you know portrays him as this dashing inventor who's also not maybe the. Nicest guy you'd want to have around, but, um, you know, it was a showman <laughs> and, and a pretty exciting guy to, to follow through this story of this eclipse.
0: Right. Yeah, so people might remember the um, James Craig Watson from our The Hunt for Vulcan podcast. That was the guy who was looking for Vulcan, the, the mysterious planet that was presumed to exist between Mercury and the sun and did not, in fact, exist, turns out.
2: But nonetheless, Uh, uh, Watson did claim to see it during this eclipse, which was pretty interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Later, yeah. Later disproved. But yeah, so let's talk about some of these people. Let's talk about Mariah Mitchell. She's an interesting character, and I I had no idea. I'd never heard of her before. But she was kind of up against a lot at the time, right? There were a lot of people who thought that women doing science was going to break their reproductive systems or something. Yeah,
2: like I just want to read. So at at this time there was this Baron describes it as an incendiary book that was called Sex in Education or a fair chance for the girls. Um, this is written by <laughs> what doc- a hero! <laughs> yeah, I know. This is written by Dr. Edward H. Clark, and he basically was warning, you know, that educating women was just going to ruin everything. So I'll read this quote here. He contended that by taxing the brain, higher education caused a girl's body, especially her reproductive organs, to atrophy quote, when arrested development of the reproductive system is nearly or quite complete, it produces a change in a woman's character, he wrote, and this included a dropping out of maternal instincts and an appearance of Amazonian coarseness Uh-oh. and force. Such persons are analogous to the sexless class of termites. <laughs> oh
0: That's God. actually what we call ourselves here in the science team at 538. Yes? <laughs> we are 538's sexless class of termites. It's, a, it's an adorable internal nickname yes, we really. have for ourselves. Yeah. So Mariah Mitchell was up against it.
3: <laughs> up against a lot of interesting attitudes. Well and when you hear that, you realize how incredible it was that she not only went on to be a professor at and, and, a, yeah. Yeah, and a revered a revered scientist, but that she had beat out other men for this job at Vassar, which is wasn't all women's college, but they of course had male professors and it, it you know, it's pretty incredible that she had, was able to get a job in the first place when you were.
2: Absolutely, there. absolutely. Uh, we should note that she was paid significantly less and in fact there's one really telling anecdote in the, the book of a woman who was the, the sister of another astronomer, Herschel and when they found out so she she was doing work and getting paid for it but when they found out that she was a woman they dropped her salary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's the meritocracy. Yeah, We're Apparently you know, her, 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 <laughs> she fought back, back against
3: it like she yeah. never accepted yeah. it which I think is also really Remarkable. impressive. Yeah. yeah
0: absolutely. Resist. <laughs> right. Yeah so she's a pretty interesting figure and goes out to Colorado and and you know the people see her and she becomes kind of the, her group of a female astronomers and observers become this kind of spectacle and then she goes on the lecture circuit. So, I mean, she really did, did do a lot to advance the women in science.
2: And one of the things that really stood out to me too is that it was very clear that she served as a mentor. I mean, she really took women under her wing and, you know, provided the support to them and created a network of women and sort of a support system for them that seems quite significant.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they described the Women's Congress, which was you know, a way that they were trying to put forth women in society as well and she was extremely active in that so it's kind of impressive that she you know managed to play both of those roles in yeah, society absolutely
1: i wanted to point out just going off that idea that she was a mentor to a lot of young women the song that her yes. students <laughs> sung for her, which was modeled after julia Howe's battle hymn of the republic who also she was a, a figure at that mm-hmm. Women's congress yeah. that you mentioned but i think this that was a you know An indication of how much her students valued her, that they they wrote a song about Mm her. And it was, we are singing for the glory of Mariah Mitchell's name. (laughs) (laughs) She lives at Vassar College, and you all do know the name. (laughs) She once did spy a comet, and thus she was known to fame. Good woman that she was. (laughs) And then... Glory, glory, hallelujah. (laughs) Can't wait for
0: you to sing that set to
2: music, Becky. (laughs) It's like Uh, karaoke tonight. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd like to talk about another one of my personal favorite characters from David Barron's book. It is a man named Cleveland Abbey. And he was a guy who wanted to be an astronomer for a really long time and eventually got this posting at the Cincinnati Observatory and used that to start studying meteorology and creating weather forecasts. That he called probabilities, therefore earning himself the nickname of old probabilities or old probs for short. (laughs) And I just when I got to this part, I was reading it on the subway in New York. And laughing out loud because I was like, this needs to be Nate Silver's new nickname. <laughs> we have got to start calling him Old Probabilities because yes. that is incredible. And it's like, can you imagine a time which the newspapers are like, oh, old probabilities coming in with his weather forecast again? <laughs> and it's really it was, it's also sad because then he goes on to the Army Signal Service and works for this guy named General Meyer, who then steals his nickname. I was, people- <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it'd be appropriate
3: yeah. if we gave that nickname to Nate since somebody had already stolen his Right, yeah, we're gonna <laughs> Deal it again. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, Keep
3: the tradition
1: going.
0: Sorry, Cleveland Abbey. You will never get your due.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I also want to point out that he was like 30 at the time. Oh yeah. So <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Old probabilities at age 30 is kind of depressing. I mean, yeah. in
0: 1878, I don't know, 30 was maybe, maybe meant something different. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, but he was just like, and he ended up out in Colorado trying to go up on Pike's Peak to watch the eclipse in 1878 and ended up getting really sick and had to be brought down to a camp that was lower and just he didn't have any of his equipment so he ended up watching it just through his crappy glasses and Which making he, some observations He was
3: short-sighted yeah, right? Right. So he had yeah. these like, severe uh, vision impairments and ne- yeah. near yeah
0: so he couldn't yeah but
2: so he did he like observed the corona and just looked at it and still well, made some contributions and then and he, he was d- sort of like sean spicer at the vatican like he got up there and then you know he ended up not able to to see it from the top he got uh you know, altitude sickness and had to be brought down and they left his good glasses so that the poor kid who's near sighted is looking through, you know, these subpar glasses
3: down lower. (laughs) But what I loved about that is he's this really tragic figure who it's, you know, really has all these terrible things happen. And then we will get to this, I guess, but he's the only one who really had a successful viewing event in a way, you know, he really. Absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. No, he, I mean. Cleveland Abbey, man, he's the he's one of the heroes of the story. He really <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> old props, like. old props. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot going on in this eclipse. There's a lot of talk. I mean, a lot of interesting science that happens, as you you all have pointed out. What does Edison get up to? Let's talk about him.
1: So yeah, so Edison was also trying to establish himself as more than a mere tinkerer and inventor. He wanted to be a discoverer and you know a really important figure, and he had quite an ego and, and quite a high opinion of himself and also was was very good at using the news media to you know further his image of himself I guess he was going to have his own eclipse correspondent for this eclipse which makes me a little bit envious yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean that is you right now Becky you just yeah. <laughs> where's your where's your Edison yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
1: But yeah, so he, he invented a couple of different contraptions that would have helped him measure some d- different aspects of the sun, including the temperature of the corona and some other interesting things that he thought he'd be able to see. But this was coming on the heels of a couple of things that he had previously said he found that turned out to not be anything. And he was being ridiculed in you know the popular press and also especially in the scientific community for making these mistakes. In one observation, he thought that he detected moonshine, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Not the moonshine that we may be thinking of, but... Um, Maybe I've, he was
2: drinking some moonshine. <laughs>
1: yeah, that that may have explained some of his... Excellent. Go home, Edison,
2: your
0: drink. Yeah. So, B- Becky, you've mentioned the corona a couple of times and corona science. Can you tell people exactly what that is?
1: So, the corona is the atmosphere of the sun. It's the outermost region of the sun. So, the sun, as you probably know, is a ball of gas. I, <laughs> I did know that. Um, so... <laughs> It has a surface, it has, a, you know, a photosphere that, that sends light toward us, but the corona is its outer atmosphere, and it's probably, arguably, the most important part of the sun, aside from the fact that it's, you know, bathing us all in light that gives life to Earth. <laughs> but <laughs> the corona details. is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, important detail. But the corona is where space weather originates, and that's the influence of the sun sending particles towards Earth that slam into our atmosphere and our magnetic field. Mm -hmm. It creates auroras. It creates space weather storms that can mess up satellites and the power grid and the ground communications. So the corona is really important and it's hard to see it because the sun is so bright that, you know, when you look at it, you can't really tell one part from another. Mm -hmm. So eclipses are really helpful because they block out almost exactly the disk of the sun so that the photosphere and the surface and leave just the corona so you can make very specific coronal measurements and measure its temperature measure its its movement measure its you know size and all of these things change with the sun's cycles of activity and mm-hmm. so eclipses are a nice way to kind of check in on the sun at regular intervals to see See what's doing. up with the sun? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And at, at this time, there wasn't a lot known. And there was kind of some controversy about, you know, what it what it actually was. But one thing that really struck me and stood out for me was that during the actual eclipse, one of the things that was done, there was a class that was brought together. And they were actually trained in advance to do mm-hmm. observing. And they, they actually divided the sun sort of into quadrants. Mm-hmm. And so you were assigned a quadrant. And your job was to not just observe it, but to sketch it. And so they were the idea was that they were going to make this sort of master sketch because and these days there, there wasn't the possibility of doing very good photography mm-hmm. um, on, on this. And anyway, but it was really interesting to me that – this group that had been, you know, basically trained in advance to do this, so they weren't just sort of randomly doing it. They had, Right, had, they were assigned a quadrant, they were, assigned, they were told they were like, what to look for, I think. They were taught how to observe. Yeah. They could not agree on the color that they were seeing, and yeah. there were other sort of things that didn't mesh up, so this idea that they were going to put all of these sketches together into this one master sketch, it just, it didn't work out, and I thought that was a really interesting observation on sort of the limits of scientific observations and, mm-hmm. and what that means for...
3: And also just add that that was you know, that was crowdsourcing. And we think that that's something new that we do right. now. But that was definitely, an, you know, an, an early crowdsourcing project. So
0: yeah, and I think that's that's really interesting. And the thing that that struck me, you know, looking at this eclipse in 1878, and then we have one on August 21st of this year, a total solar eclipse, it's going to start in Oregon, and it's going all the way across the country, out through South Carolina. And there's a lot of a lot of this work is still going to be done. I mean, there's a lot remaining to to discover and study about the corona itself. And, I mean, it's just pretty extraordinary what remains, even after all this time, 140 years or whatever. Right. And
3: also this, it's sort of it's so fascinating to think about that the only time you could study it is when you could, you know, when it was disappeared. Right. And, when nature lets you study it. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, and, and Becky, I know you've talked about, you've looked into a lot of this, too. Like, the it's actually kind of hard for us to study the corona, even with instruments we have now, because they're not... Quite up to the job.
1: That's right. Yeah. We, so we have ways that we can kind of get around this when the moon is not helping us out. But these are really imperfect instruments. So there's something you call the coronagraph, which basically looks like you're looking at the sun through a telescope and you've put like a vinyl record between it. To, to really date myself here. Or a CD. <laughs> <laughs> a, C, a CD. No, keep
0: going. Anything more. <laughs> an MP3. Right. You put an MP3. Yeah. See, that,
1: like, but, yeah. now it's all digital, so it wouldn't really make a difference. <laughs> but so basically, like, you're, you're slipping this uh, the thing over the sun to block it the way the moon does mm-hmm. and let you see the corona. But because of, you know, the angle that we're looking at it, it's not a perfect shadow, you know we 'd have to have like a hugely long telescope to to do this the way that the sun does with the same ratio, so what happens is you block too much of the sun and you miss this like transition region, which is actually the name for the region where the corona meets the rest of the sun mm-hmm. you don't have to see that, and by oh, okay. definition, a chronograph blocks out a lot of the sun, so you don't really see the whole sun you don't see every color that it emits um, oh, and mm-hmm. you don't know, see sense. all the particles that it's streaming out at us. And so it's, it's not, you know, a whole picture at all. So the moon makes us, you know, the moon provides that view where our instruments, our paltry instruments can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, yeah, I think it's super interesting that there's still, that this is still going to be a hugely interesting and educational scientific endeavor. And at the time, I mean, you know, in 1878, it also captured the public's imagination in terms of getting people interested in science. So this feels like we're, you know, coming up on another opportunity to do that, to get the public interested in in the science of us and Earth and the cosmos and the sun and the moon and all, all these interesting things. <laughs> Has anyone ever seen a total solar eclipse?
2: No. 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 Yeah. There aren't, there aren't a lot of opportunities. Yeah. So, so it's something like every 18 months there is one somewhere on Earth, but very often this is like only visible from like the middle of the ocean somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there aren't a lot of opportunities for us to see them, like particularly somewhere we can drive to from where you live. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about some of the stuff that happens.
3: During a total solar eclipse, because it sounds creepy almost. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I mean, what, it's not just what happens at during the solar mm-hmm. eclipse, but sort of what's leading up to that, which I found really interesting. Like one of the things that really I um, was fascinated by was this idea of the Bailey's beads, where the the light is filtering through the valleys of the moon, yeah. and so you get this weird ripple effect. Um, you like the like the scenery around it, you appears to ripple. Or? I, that's my understanding, but I, no, <laughs> I, don't, it's, I don't it's know. it's actually so <laughs>
2: it's like where where the the sun is coming through little holes Mm -hmm. or things so like if you're looking so the traditional way to look at an eclipse that's not a total so an Mm -hmm. annular eclipse where there's still some that's left open so it's not safe to look at it directly you'll look through a a pinhole or something and so you that shape will have different things and so at some point because of the angles and everything you get these really weird kind of curly shadows am i getting Uh, this right becky yes yeah
1: so during the during a total eclipse like the the you know, very brief moment right before the sun is completely obscured. You get Bailey's beads and this diamond ring effect where light is streaming through valleys and craters on the moon. And, then, and then, then they disappear and then the sun is completely gone. But yeah, there's these really weird atmospheric effects, Bailey's beads being one of them, and shadow bands that like ripple on the ground as if... like Imagine standing in a swimming pool and looking down yeah. at your feet and yeah. how your feet look like they're kind of in motion or the light bands are kind of moving over them in a a weird way. This happens during an eclipse because the atmosphere, earth's atmosphere is, you know, making the light kind of shimmy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so on the ground, it has this very strange effect looking through tree foliage or like a pasta colander. (laughs) If you use that and look at the shadow that that would cast on the ground, you'd see crescent suns instead of, you know, just, just regular sunlight. So there's, there's a yeah. lot of very bizarre things that happen in the moments before the eclipse itself. And then when the total eclipse happens, totality, it's a very, very bizarre. And a lot of people say very spiritual experience.
3: One of the things I also loved is, was Baron describing that sort of it takes this hour, you know, an hour from when it starts, right? The moon starts eclipsing the sun. and But then it swallows you in seconds, in those last seconds, yeah. right before yeah. it becomes the totality.
1: Yeah, it's the... the the scales of time are, are really interesting in an eclipse, and everyone I've talked to, mm-hmm. who's experienced these, says that they feel like they're over in an instant, and the time mm-hmm. you spend waiting for them feels interminable. It's <laughs> yeah. you know like an hour from. It's called first contact, is the the first time yes, that the moon's disc touches the sun of the di- the disc of the sun. And you're sitting there waiting, and then it's like, okay, there's a little bit more of a shadow. Uh, there's a little bit more of a shadow. And after a while, you get bored, and, <laughs> and you're looking at your phone yeah. or whatever. And then, <laughs> in the last few minutes, it gets, it starts to get weird. Like, you know something is happening. The light changes. It gets a little bit darker. It looks like maybe a cloudy day kind of dimness. People start to get a little excited. And then, you know, all of a sudden, this enormous shadow races towards you at 2,000 miles an hour almost. I think it's like 1,600 miles an hour. Wow! wow. And it falls like a curtain and you're in total darkness and the sun vanishes. And all you see is the corona, this like wispy tendrils of of light flowing around the sun like fingers or like a wreath. Or I've heard lots of descriptions from what the corona (laughs) looks like. (laughs) And every eclipse is very different. So sometimes the, the corona is pretty quiet Sometimes it's very active, and it's shooting out streamers. Sometimes you can see prominences, which are these, like, fiery little fingers that stream off the sun, and they're pink and red, and you can see all of this with your naked eye, which is pretty amazing. Amazing. That's incredible. Amazing. Well, there's also sort of this
2: anxiety, too, of waiting. Like, are the conditions going to be good? Well, you know, we're going to have – I really loved how Baron described this, like how the day was unfolding and it was clear. Mm. But then there was like a cloud in the distance. And just – I, I want to read this sentence from his book. He says – the depths of anxiety experienced by an astronomer and the hours before a total solar eclipse are difficult to fathom. <laughs> you, know, you just imagine like ever, so much is resting on, you know, these few minutes, right? And, yeah. you know, you want all of those conditions to be right. Um, so it really-
3: also, it's like it's this object itself, right? It's the sun, it's the corona that you're looking at. But then the way people describe what happens to the earth around you and how it kind of makes you question your assumptions about color and what you're seeing mm-hmm. in a day to day sounds really fascinating.
2: Yeah, and he describes it that the that the sky doesn't look it's neither day nor mm-hmm. nor night. Like it, mm-hmm. it's a different I mean he sort of describes it as like a, a gray or something, but that it is it seems qualitatively different than just the night sky. Right, I think is interesting. I'll be li- so David Barron. It's interesting to note he he's sort of become an eclipse chaser. Yeah. Um, he once he saw his first one, he he got hooked. So um, I'll be interviewing him in a couple of days, and I'm going to ask him about this. I'm wondering how many he's he's seen, but it sounds like it is an addiction. Right. Can't be for some yeah, people. You see, <laughs> this
3: one. What, the word for that what is it, umbraphile? Yes. Um, yes. It was, also, good the term, shadow good term. of the yeah. moon
1: is called the umbra, and if you want to. Chase that. Yeah, you're, you're an file Chasing yeah. the shadow of
0: the moon. Yeah, um, yeah. That is a very romantic idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pause here quickly for a message from this week's sponsor. Looking good doesn't need to cost a fortune. 5-4 Club is revolutionizing the way men shop. Each month, they send you a curated box of two to three items that are handpicked to match your style. They know what they're doing. So if you don't, that's okay. 5-4 Club will help you build your wardrobe one month at a time. You get $120 worth of clothes for just $60 a month, and you can pause or cancel anytime. Go to 54club.com right now and enter promo code 538, and they'll give you 50% off your first month's package, plus a free pair of sunglasses. That's 50% off your first package at 54 club spelled F-I-V-E-F-O-U-R, club.com, promo code 538. That's 54club.com, promo code 538. All right, and we're back. Okay, so let's spend a little bit of time talking about the August 21st eclipse. We've been talking about it at 538 for many months. Becky, you and I have been talking about it for many months as well at length, and it's delightful. I just
2: want to say my my dad, who is past president of the Albuquerque Astronomical Society, he has been talking about this for years, like probably five years. Yeah, this is a huge deal. This is,
0: I mean... Becky, it's been, well, and others you can say can speak to this too. I mean, it's been a really long time. It's been since, what, 1979 since we've had a total solar eclipse in the U.S.? Is yeah, that, right? that was
1: the last time any total eclipse passed any part of this country. And okay. it was in, in the northwest, again, so it was Oregon and Washington State. It was a, a pretty small section of the country. But this is the first eclipse mm-hmm. to pass the whole country in 99 years. It was 1918. 99. And um, it's the wow. first eclipse to make landfall in our country and stay only in this country since 1776. I mean,
3: that is something that's incredible. Yeah. And not to diminish the importance of that, but for people who have not already made plans and nerd out, nerded out on this, there's going to be another one in 2024 that's going to pass through quite yeah. a bit of the United States. So this isn't so. Last. When all your
0: friends come back from the eclipse and you have FOMO because you were right. able to go, yeah. um, you know, you were you were like in the hospital having a baby or some other good excuse for missing the eclipse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you can plan for 2024 because it's going to blow a lot of minds. I mean, I think there's something like. Made a story on this the other day there's something like 90 million people just about who are either on the path of totality through the US or within 200 miles drive and that is a significant portion of the population i mean it the is. entire country will mm-hmm. mostly be exposed to some to some version of the eclipse whether it's partial or the partial thing or the whole thing but i mean really it's, it's a, there's a lot of people who are going to be able to
2: see this which is pretty uh, depending on the weather
0: which is pretty Today, incredible. That's-
2: that's one of the most exciting parts is that we we have so few opportunities, right, where this is, this is something where, like, everyone's going to be stopping what they're doing, looking up at the sky and mm-hmm. wonder. And sort of it's kind of this opportunity for a shared experience around science. Like, that, it's
3: so exciting. <laughs> like, how often does that happen? Very rarely. Very
1: rarely, especially well, now. And not to
3: get overly practical, but. And we should go back to that. But, you know, it's also going over parts of the country that don't usually have cloud cover. And so it's right. kind of guaranteed that some people are going to see it. Don't
2: usually. jinx us, Anna. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know. Where's the wood? No, Where's I mean. old probs?
0: <laughs> when we need them. I know. Yeah. Poor old probs was like trying to predict the weather and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. in
2: Denver and in Wyoming. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think people were... I just want to, like, quickly note here, though, one thing. I think a lot of people um, don't understand that, like, there's a huge difference between being, like, where there's 90% coverage mm-hmm. and 100 Like, it's just fundamentally different. Like, you know, the sky will just sort of look like a cloudy day. You won't be able to look directly at it. I mean, it's not that it's not cool. And if that's the situation that you're in, do go look at it through your pinhole and all that. But it's just, you know, this is an opportunity to get, like, the full Amazing deal, and if if you can, you should do it. Mm -hmm. These listeners, (laughs) yeah. There's a lot of resources. GreatAmericanEclipse.com. Yeah, Uh,
0: it's a great site. And there's also resources from NASA and elsewhere. Becky, are there? I'm sure you have other resources that you've been pointing people to. Yeah, the
1: NASA site is is very helpful, and also the American Astronomical Society website, which is eclipse.aas.org, and you can go on here and it has tons of resources about how to view it safely where to go, um, Mm -hmm. and there's tons of events and activities in in these tiny towns all across the path of totality. There are music festivals, there are, you know, campgrounds selling out, and there's special events in, in every state on the path people are renting out their private land for lots and lots of money <laughs> airbnb <laughs> is blowing up with people renting out their houses for people who are coming in for the night yeah. yeah there's plenty to do
3: becky how are you going to spend your three minutes if you're sort of near the middle of the path yeah. of totality I'm still how, deciding. You, do do? I, so
1: i am lucky enough to live in the path of totality and my house is actually in it yay which That's is awesome. very cool but i'm at the very top part of the of the circle mm-hmm. of the moon's shadow and i only get 48 seconds at my house and so i'm i'm very torn and i've heard you know a wide range of opinions of what i should do with that (laughs) i should i've been told to stay (laughs) stay in your yard that's great you know you won't have the chance again for 378 years or no you have to drive (laughs) you must get in your car and you must drive you know an hour south to get closer to the center line and so i don't know i think the weather will probably be the deciding factor that day
2: Right. I feel like there's something though very elegant and sort of that just feels just very nice about seeing it from your your own home and your own. Place right, mm-hmm. and and Becky, you have a, a young daughter. Do you plan? Have you been talking to her about it? Yeah, yeah. She's
1: she knows about the total eclipse. And <laughs>
3: and <laughs> Becky's like Christy. Come on,
0: <laughs> <laughs> she knows more than ninety five percent of Americans. Yeah. She's, she's
1: probably tired of hearing about it. Yeah, no. She she loves the moon, and so she's uh-huh. very American excited <laughs> the about yeah. the fact yeah. that the moon will be in front of the sun. Even though I'm not sure she <laughs> yeah. quite yeah. understands what that means, but yeah, I ha- I have uh, some glasses for her, and we've been talking about how to be safe and, and look at the sun safely, so.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Becky. So I feel like there's some, some incorrect perceptions about that, about the safety piece of it. Can you talk a little bit about how you're supposed to look at it, when you can look at it with a naked eye, when you have to use glasses?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's you know, it's, it's very important to view the sun safely, obviously. You don't want to look directly at the sun ever, except for this two-minute 40- second window of totality when it's safe to look at the sun directly. Um, because you're not looking at the sun. You're looking at the shadow of the moon and the, the sun's atmosphere, which itself is not very bright and, and doesn't, you know, stream ultraviolet radiation into your retina. <laughs> <laughs> but, which
0: is not good. <laughs> your yeah, yeah. You would not want that to
1: happen. Yeah, Suboptimal. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so when it's – but I think that, I, that was something I didn't know. So when it's in totality, it's okay to look with a naked eye at the eclipse.
1: Yes. And in fact, you, you must, because if you don't, then you won't see it because the way that eclipse glasses work, um, and these are something you can get online, you know, from a wide variety of sources and check to make sure that they have ISO certification um, to make sure that they're safe. But these are like, you know, $2 paper glasses with a special plastic sheet over them that block out almost all of the sun's light, except for in one wavelength where you can see this kind of milky disk. And during totality, that would be blocked. So you wouldn't see nothing. Mm -hmm. So you you must take off your glasses in that window. But you also must put them back on the minute (laughs) you see a diamond ring effect, which is, you know, the moments before totality and the moment after totality, when the moon is moving away from the sun, that effect appears, which is now, again, sunlight coming through craters on the moon. When that comes back, put your glasses back on. Uh, Because actually, the sun won't be too bright yet, and you won't feel inclined to look away like you won't instinctively mm, avert your eyes yeah. but it is streaming enough radiation at you that it can burn your retina painlessly and you wouldn't even know um, right. until you know the next morning when you have a, a crescent in your eye <laughs> um, ah. and so it's, it's, a little, it's a little terrifying are yeah, ophthalmologists
2: like- <laughs> preparing for this too <laughs> yes
1: yeah ophthalmologists are, are pretty actively talking about eyeglass safety and uh, making bet, sure yeah. that you know if you're looking at the sun you're using these special glasses almost the entire time, and mm-hmm. if you know if you have young kids who aren't sure and that kind of thing, it's it may be wise to make sure that they they wear the glasses almost the entire time. But if you're in totality, you can take them off. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you can't. You, no matter where you are in the U.S., you'll see a partial oh. eclipse, and you have okay. to keep the glasses on the whole time for that.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. I mean, it's it. I think it's a little tricky, right? Like all those, you know, the it's not. It's not necessarily going to be easy for people to know who've never seen these
3: before. That's true. To do. Yeah. Right, and it's such a short period of time, you know, yeah. like a two to three minute range, yeah. depending on where you are. Or like even shorter seconds, if you're not yeah. right on the, the main line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and
1: well, one thing I've also been told by a lot of Eclipse profiles and Eclipse chasers is there's a lot happening all around you, even if you're not looking directly at the corona. It's a site that shouldn't be missed, so if you're in that two minute window, take a look at it. But also, look at the landscape around you and, and the people mm-hmm. you're with and, you know, color is very strange and everything takes on in sort of a, a pallor that, you know, looks like death <laughs> or something otherworldly and animals, yeah. Sort, animals you're like, react. Yeah,
0: your going to be doing something weird. Yeah, your,
1: your dog might freak out or birds are going to be <laughs> flying back to their nests. Um, you know, chickens will go back in their coops and insects will start to chirp as if it's night. Animals will have interesting responses. So there's, there's a lot to take in, even if you're not looking directly at it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, one way to be, to make sure you're safe.
0: It's going to be hard to remember, honestly, all these things. I feel like yeah. I'm going to get to that point in the eclipse <laughs> because I'm going to, we are all going to go see it. Everyone on the team, including, and a couple of other people at 538 as well, have plans to go to the path of totality and take and, and take it all in. So um, I'm excited about it, but I'm also like, okay, how am I gonna spend my time? Yeah. And where am I gonna go exactly? And also do I need to like plot out minute by minute mm-hmm. set myself, or should I, am I just gonna be like, I need to enjoy this, which is something that Christy's brought up too, like enjoying the awe of that moment. Yeah, I
2: made the case like we are not live blogging this. <laughs> it, it is it is something to be experienced. I think that there's something I think the power here is really in the moment and experiencing mm-hmm. it and really giving yourself over to to that experience which is so rare and it's kind of a reminder of, you know, where we are all lie in this vast, um, uncaring universe.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, one of the things that, that that reminds me of is, you know, we talked a little bit about how Barron wrote about how the U.S. did not have a good scientific reputation. All these Europeans sort of thought that we were, you know, sort of children in the world of science and had, we're not going to, you know, we're not making very much progress on our own, et cetera. Everything was still coming from Europe. And he writes that, that it was this democratically experienced event and that in a democratic – I'm quoting now – in a democratic and egalitarian America, the citizenry was in charge of the nation's destiny and therefore advancing science in the United States required convincing the populace of the value of research, that it was worth promotion and investment. And that, to me, resonated a bit. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about science and how hard it is to – I mean, the the complicated conversations we have with ourselves as a society and as a nation about science and scientific concepts. And this really struck me as, oh, okay, you know, the eclipse in 1878 was a time when the U.S. really started coming into its own as a home to scientific research and a place that prioritized public knowledge of science. And this is another
3: opportunity for us, in my opinion, to sort of reinforce that. But it was interesting, too, because... The scientists were asking for this kind of support from the federal government and pushing to make this a big public event. And it wasn't until almost the last minute that Mm -hmm. Congress appropriated some funds for them to go. You know, they had to take out millions of pounds of equipment, essentially, and whatnot, out west on trains. And it was, you know, expensive, um, the travel and the equipment itself. And so it's it, there you know it's not, it wasn't a clean clear you know we all just agreed that this was a moment where we needed no. to come together as right. a nation which actually is was was very interesting to me as well and i think you know the the us um, the institution that we have to support this kind of thing is the federal government and that was an interesting contrast to you know these European nations where they had different entities that were there to support mm-hmm. science so the universities or it was yeah well, yeah societies. and in the end it was
2: sort of like well we're just going to be embarrassed if all of these other nations are sending people <laughs> here to watch and we're not doing anything it was almost sort of like shame that they got the government to, to pony up the funds right like it, it really was at the last minute and there wasn't a lot of I mean sort of the takeaway I got from this was that there still wasn't a lot of widespread support and it was a little bit of a niche thing and and mm-hmm. certainly they weren't going to give any money to the women to do that you right know, mariah should, yeah. yeah she was told
0: best of luck yeah <laughs> can't, really, can't really help you get out there can't pay yeah. your train
2: fare sorry yeah well and there were i mean she um some of her equipment was oh, lost yeah. on the train there's a railroad point. dispute happening yeah. there's all <laughs> kinds of like interesting yeah stuff going on you think travel's bad now it's, <laughs> it's actually gotten better than <laughs> As it it, be. since 1878 yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, it's 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 really yeah, it's interesting. So maybe my vision of this, you know, bringing the country together
1: democratically isn't as tidy as one.
0: Might like my vision is history.
1: <laughs> I have the same vision, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes it's a little bit cheesy, maybe, but that's mm-hmm. my fervent hope is that people will be really interested in this and and really excited about it and and supportive of not only the scientists who are studying the sun and and learning something new, but just the entire shared enterprise of of looking at this phenomenon that humans have shared for, you know, since time immemorial and have told stories about eclipses and have developed myths around them. And, and, you know, it's something that we can all take part in and, and be excited about.
0: Yeah. I am. I'm totally on board with that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I'll
2: be really curious to see, you know, can we look, you know, this generation out, like how many uh, little astronomers will this Mm -hmm. eclipse create really? I mean, I just, this feels like something that, you know, people who are children right now, this will be a very memorable experience for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll have a couple of nieces there. Um, I'll be in the St. Louis area,
0: which is where I grew up. So I'm excited to hang out with them i mean one of them is too small to get it but we'll, i'm sure later i'll be like kid you were at this eclipse <laughs> yeah, right. and it was awesome <laughs> you, <were laughs> you have a to be a scientist eclipse generation. <laughs> right uh, right the eclipse generation there you go yeah, I like that. <laughs> okay well let's start to wrap up a little bit does anyone have any any additional closing thoughts um things they want to point out about the book or just about this upcoming eclipse again august
2: 21st it's a monday get ready Get in position. <laughs> I wonder. Um, so for this uh, 1878 eclipse, a lot of places have closed. You know, government offices were closed and things like that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that happens mm-hmm. here as well. Some schools, I, I, know, I know, are not operating that day in the past.
0: Please. Yeah, right. I've been yeah. hearing about that
1: in, in St. Louis where I live. Um, mm-hmm. the, much of the city is in the path of totality. And, and some schools are either, you know, getting very ready and getting glasses and getting set up or they're they're not having school that day. Um, and there's there's a, a wide range of reasons. Some are worried about liabilities if, you know, kids look at the sun and are injured or also, like, let them go home and, and experience it with their families. Um, and, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of last-minute logistics for people trying to get into the path, and that's also a factor. Yeah,
3: yeah that's <laughs> – that will be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I know traffic Ugh, is definitely
0: a concern. We have some coverage of this on the website, at 538, and we'll have some more, too. So – will offer some tips and give you and give people some information obviously there's a lot of other folks doing that as well so there's a lot out there um can i ask you all if you would recommend this book american eclipse by david baron start with
3: anna Uh, absolutely it's beautifully written and incredibly well researched there's just so much information sort of laid in there but i also think there are these really important lessons to walk away with about um society and how we organize ourselves and and what the sort of pursuit of knowledge means and um but also just yeah the 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 idea of sort of giving yourself over to the heavens for a few minutes is really beautiful and he describes it beautifully.
2: Yeah. Christy? I absolutely loved this book. And I just want to mention that it as a physical thing, it is beautiful oh, yes. too. It has mm-hmm. so in addition to having, you know, a bunch of plates at the end of these beautiful photographs and historical documents and things, throughout the entire book there are maps and illustrations and things. It's just a gorgeous book. But I, I enjoyed it on so many different levels. I mean, I think we've discussed a lot of the science. But there's so much interesting history as well. Mm-hmm. And I live in Colorado. There was a lot of really interesting, fascinating Colorado history in here that I enjoyed a lot. Um, in fact, um, some of the news accounts from the Denver newspapers, of which there were many at that point, I'm um, sad to say there are <laughs> no longer so many uh, newspapers, um, was really fascinating. So, yeah, I would absolutely recommend this book. Okay.
1: And Becky? Yeah, I totally, totally agree. It's it's beautifully written, and it's a perfect primer for what people are going to see that day. But also the, the context of it, I think, is important because, I, you know, I think that an argument can be made that we're on another cusp as a country and in a moment of great change politically and a great change, you know, in terms of climate change and what's happened to our environment. And that was the case at the time of this eclipse, and it sort of served as a bookmark for... Those things, And I, I think this clips can do the same for us now and give people a shared experience that will serve as a, a mile marker of sorts. And this book is a good example of what that was like.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would also recommend it, echoing everything that's, that you guys have said here. And I would also like to point out, so we will have, you know, we'll be writing some things on 538. Becky is, is writing a lot for The Atlantic. And I believe, Becky, you said you'll have a, you get, are you guys doing an excerpt?
1: Yes. Yeah, we'll be publishing an excerpt of the book, of um, Barron's book.
0: That's great. So folks can take a look at our website. Definitely check out Becky's coverage over at The Atlantic as well. All right. Thank you so much, Anna Maria Berry-Jester. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Christy Eschwanden. Great to be here. And thanks so much for joining us, Rebecca Boyle. Thanks for having me. This was great. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. All right. That is it for this episode of Sparks. We talked about The amazing phenomenon that is the total solar eclipse coming your way August 21st, 2017. And Christy will be interviewing American Eclipse author David Barron in our next episode, so stay tuned for that. Thanks to our producers Chadwick Matlin and Jody Avergan, and thanks to Tony Chow and Martin O'Nebu for production assistance. Katie Ferguson is our editor. Thanks also to Misha Youssef for help with this episode. The What's the Point music is by Hrishikesh Herway. And stay tuned. We do this podcast every month in the What's the Point feed. Please subscribe now so you don't miss an episode and help spread the word. Let us know what you think by emailing podcasts at 538.com with comments or suggestions. I'm Science Editor Blythe Terrell, and this is my last episode of Sparks, which I'm very sad about. But it's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening.